Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson, and the custard to my cream, the jaffa to my cake, Mr. Ian Morris. Uh, or more likely the uh, infectious disease to your f- perfectly functioning human body. Yes. But I'm ill. Ian's Hi. A, Ian's a poorly man right now. What a shame. Everyone send their Indeed. love and tissues. And this week's show, as ever, is brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. If you're a patron, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free versions, extended cuts, live streaming, and access to our 24-7 Discord members club, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Find out how you can support us for a very low amount of money with no commitment. Now, we have a bit of an announcement to make, don't we, Ian Morris? Oh. We have passed an amazing milestone that we're very, very, very happy with and very proud of, in that we, this week, had our half-millionth download of text message, uh, which for a show with absolutely no marketing and no PR and no anything, um, to have had half a million downloads is uh, is something we're incredibly excited about and very happy. So thank you to everyone who's been downloading us um, like bunnies, a mixed metaphor there so we're going to celebrate this and i was trying to think around like what can we do to you know to to celebrate this and and you know give something back and i rummaged through my cupboards of junk and uh, discarded all of it uh, and then i went into a drawer where i keep much more interesting important stuff and there's a load of xbox one game codes in there and i've decided to give them away and we've got a whole bunch of game codes um these are all for xbox one we've got destiny 2 madden 18 fifa 2018 Zoo Tycoon, Halo Wars 2, Halo 3 for some reason, and then a couple of games I've never heard of, Rush, a Disney Pixar adventure, Disneyland Adventures, uh, Super Lucky's Tale, uh, Killer Instinct Definitive Edition, and we've also got a month of free access to um, EA's Access Pass, so sort of unlimited access to EA's game catalogue. So we've got all of those to give away, um, you know, one each, and you can enter this little competition um, by tweeting something and we're going to put this on the show notes as well at um, techpodcast.uk if you want to see the format and it's got it's a sentence with three blanks that it's up to you to fill and you can put anything in these in order to make Ian and me laugh and the harder we laugh the more likely it is that we're going to pick your tweet as a winner and you can have your choice of game Um, the, the quote is this I listened to at text message pod in the blank because it helps me blank while I blank i'm hoping to win a competition with this tweet um so i listen to at text message pod in the blank because it helps me blank while i blank i'm hoping to win a competition with this tweet and then send us an email to hello at techpodcast.uk with a link to the tweet in the body um, as well as your top five game choices 
because when we pick the winners um, we'll try and give everyone the top game they want but in case someone else has that we'll go for your second and so on and so forth um, until you, you get something that you that you like uh, entries are going to close at 11pm GMT on the 18th of March so that's a month to um, to hear this episode and then enter and it is UK only simply because uh, the codes that we have are only valid for redemption in the UK I mean you're welcome to enter from overseas but the codes won't be of any use to you so that's it and, and thank you to everyone who's been downloading us in the hundreds of thousands um, it really is rather wonderful so thank you it is quite spectacular isn't it really yes it's been a bit of a slow news week hasn't it Ian let's be honest well sort of I mean yes I suppose it's everything's gearing up for Mobile World Congress presumably yes there have been so, plenty of tedious leaks about pricing for Samsung Galaxy S8 S9s and stuff like that but and with your illness, probably plenty of leaks of other natures. Uh, yes, indeed. Mm. Well, let's start by talking about old things, uh, because apparently it's official that Facebook is for old people or older people. Um, teens and young adults are apparently ditching Mark Zuckerberg's social network as popularity among the over 55s surges, according to a report covered by The Guardian this week. So in 2018... Uh, 2.2 million people between ages of 12 to 17, which is weird since uh, you have to be 13 to use Facebook, uh, and 4.5 million of 18 and 24-year-olds will regularly use Facebook in the UK. But that is about 700,000 people fewer than last year, as younger people are defecting to services like Snapchat. This is according to the report uh, that The Guardian wrote up by eMarketer. And The Guardian points out that a surge in older users means that the over 55s will become the second biggest demographic of Facebook users this year. Now, one of the many theories is that younger social network users are being successfully poached away by Snapchat, uh, as one of eMarketer's analysts said that (laughs) in in the last three years, Snapchat has more than doubled its take-up rate among UK users of social networking sites and apps. I mean, that might be the case, but ev- all, all, everywhere is full of stories about how Snapchat is struggling and, you know, that its its ideas aren't working and people are begging it to go back to different p- previous versions of the app. It, it, I, I just don't know if there's... I think people just use a lot of different things. I'm not, I'm not disputing the fact that Facebook skews older because I believe that um, because it's the simplest one to use. The app is simple. The website is simple. You just need to have some friends on there and you get to see what they're doing um which is not like snapchat snapchat's an absolute living nightmare but you know so i'm not surprised it skews older and it always has richard uh in the discord chat room right now says that his 17 year old son says that kids in his year his year group uses facebook but everyone younger than him uses snapchat so if you're born after 2000 or 2001 he reckons um so yeah facebook is for the for the elderly for me and you ian so, well, yes, I mean, I, no one is older than, well, I mean, obviously people are older than me, but no one feels older than I do right now. Um, but I still don't think that Snapchat is the same. I don't think that Snapchat does the same things as Facebook does. Um, Snapchat is a very much in the moment kind of thing. And yes, there is, that is true that uh, people use it for, you know, obviously a lot of kids use it for that kind of thing where you keep up with, uh, you know, either your friends or celebrities, which is fine. But it isn't the same product as Facebook, is it? So if you want to have some sort of long-term, meaningful kind of 
uh, Facebook is very good at taking your life and then reminding you about all the things you did that you've forgotten. Uh, so, you know, I'll look through and I'll see comments that are stupid from 10 years ago, comments that are slightly less stupid from five years ago, comments that uh, from a year ago that all, you know, photos and stuff like that. Yeah, so... I guess for young people, that probably doesn't appeal quite so much because they have so much less life um, already. But what they will probably find is if they start using Facebook a little bit, then as the years go on, they will be reminded of the things they did. They'll see photos of themselves being silly. It'll be lols left, right and centre. Whereas Snapchat just doesn't exist like that. You know, it's something that happens now and then it's gone. Yeah, and to to compare Facebook and Snapchat is interesting because Facebook tends to borrow features from Snapchat quite liberally. Liberally, you know, the stories feature um, that that it has and that's in Instagram is is basically directly taken from a feature that that Snapchat has. That sort of ephemeral nature of of posts that only appear for a short amount of time. And Instagram, which in fact um, Stephen in the chat room right now is asking about, you know, Instagram is an interesting one because it is the alternative to Snapchat, and a lot of people are leaving snapchat for instagram because more of their friends are there in fact on uh, dtns this week veronica belmont was saying that she left snapchat for instagram because that's simply where her friends are and it was just a better place to interact with people for her it sort of makes me laugh in a way because it's not that i it's not i don't understand how to use snapchat i do it It's, it's not that hard um, it's just that it's just it's not very nice. I don't like it very much. I find it um, it's got a lot of um, commercially driven content that splatters around. That you know, it, it's not impossible to keep uh, in touch with people. I can see why young people enjoy it because, of course, it go, it go, it gives them an opportunity to do things that aren't kept. Um, you know, there's no, it's not like there's a, a permanent record of it. Um, well, allegedly not. I mean, obviously, we, I, I guess there's no real way to say what Snap does and doesn't keep. Um, but whereas on Facebook, you are constantly reminded of things. So therefore, especially as you're growing up, it probably is a little bit less desirable to have Facebook constantly reminding you of the things you said a year ago. Um, but I don't think, I mean, I've, I've gone on about that quite a bit. I don't think that's the only issue. Um, I, I certainly couldn't see my parents or my mum. My, my dad refuses with all this kind of stuff, but my mum would never use Snapchat in a million years. Um, and it's not like I don't think she could. I just, yeah, like, I just don't think there's any reason to. And even Instagram, which is all about pretty pictures, um, you know, I don't, I, I, surprisingly, people don't use that more, really. Well, the chat room's talking about how Instagram is a lot more easy to use, a lot easier to use than than Snapchat. And certainly that's that's the way I see it as well. I use Instagram. And Instagram is part of the Facebook universe. And it has over, I think the last figure I saw was something like 800 million users of, of Instagram. And there will be massive crossover there. Um, but as a platform with almost a billion users in its own right, it's still a force to be reckoned with. So even if Facebook is cannibalizing itself a little bit. Maybe it's doing so in order to get people onto Instagram and not Snapchat. I think that I think that Instagram is more of a competitor for Twitter than it is for Facebook. Really, I don't see I don't see that as a crossover. I mean, I can see why Facebook wants to be in that space because no one's using Facebook like Twitter, are they? I w- I would have to massively disagree with that because simply because Twitter is so much geared towards now being a kind of news outlet, whereas Instagram, much as it would like to be a place for news, it's really still mostly a place for celebrities and your friends and not Yeah, but I don't... News. Also, I was, what, what, I, what, what I think is true of Twitter 
um, is amongst the people who really like Twitter, and I admit that's a much smaller group than the like Facebook. Um, those people are probably using Twitter a lot more than Facebook users use Facebook. I would I would suggest that the, the that the engaged audience on Twitter is probably better than the engaged audience on Facebook. But again, it, none of it matters really because you know I. I think people will always come to services that offer them features they want. And I, and I, I believe that Facebook is at least, I mean, I don't like Facebook, but I can see why people use it and I can see why I use it. Well, just before we close this topic, there was a separate analyst quoted in the Guardian piece who raised an interesting point, I thought, here, uh, which is that older people tend to be late to the internet party, but adoption tends to find its way through to the demographics eventually. And with Facebook's video and photo experience, it's a platform they want to to be on to keep up with the social life lives of their children and grandchildren and that makes sense up until the point that their grandchildren aren't using facebook well even so if even if you're you're no you the the point is i guess that parents are putting photos on facebook of their children and their parents are looking at those photos of the children i don't think it's about grandparents necessarily keeping up with their 15 year old children because that's never going to happen well, are you old um, and and using Snapchat? Are you young and using Facebook? Um, let us know how you're using these networks and if you do not fit into these pigeonholes. Uh, hello at techpodcast.uk. Very interested to hear your thoughts. Church spires in the UK could be used to boost mobile and broad, mobile phone coverage and broadband penetration in rural areas under an agreement between the UK government and the Church of England. This is according to the BBC. Now, while agreement, while the agreement encourages churches to sign up, they still have to negotiate the usual planning uh, planning process, which we have seen problems uh, in, in that regard in the past. One of the uh, examples being rural landowners who have in the past stood in the way of improvements like there was the uh, the aristocrat the uh, baron land baron i f- forget his name but in devon and he blocked plans for superfast broadband in the little uh, village he lived in because he owned the land that bt wanted to put four poles in in order to distribute better broadband to the village and he said no you can't and so essentially the village never got it. So the church and and whoever is taking advantage of this proposal, they're still going to have to negotiate that sort of thing. But it but it should hopefully at least be easier. I mean, a, a church already exists, and it will bring money into that church, which you know most churches are, are you know badly underfunded and in risk of ruin and um, and basically being abandoned. And I remember when I was co- coincidentally in Devon last year. I went into uh, a church because I'm not religious, but I do like um, old, very old buildings and, and churches tend to be some of the best preserved old buildings in the country. So I, I do like to explore them. And one of them had erected an, a, basically a, a fully fledged cafe inside the building. So it was inviting people to come in. It wasn't like a temporary thing or a tea room. It was it looked like a modern Costa type thing inside the church. And it it jarred a little bit because it looked kind of desperate and that made it a bit sad but at the same time it did allow the church to remain open so maybe this is something that could help what are your thoughts mate uh yes um i mean it makes a lot of sense because obviously it's particularly in this country uh villages and small towns and stuff like that tended to spring up around churches like i mean you know obviously that's not how it's done anymore um 
But, you know, uh, historically, a village will be around a church. Uh, So therefore, it makes some sense to uh, have churches as the centrepiece of mobile coverage, I guess. Uh, They're also often tall buildings, which most residential villages aren't. Uh, They can often be on top of hills as well, because, you know, that's closer to God in the kind of (laughs) the kind of uh, mentality of the people who are building the churches. Um, So, yeah, a smart idea. And like you say, it will bring in some money um, as long as you're not, uh, in, you know, impeding the look of the building. I, I can't see many people having much problem with it. Uh, the only question, of course, would be well, what will the parishioners be doing in church now they've got ultra fast 4G? Will they be paying attention? I wonder. Well. I mean, it opens up some interesting opportunities, and that's a, a theological debate for another day. Um, but apparently two-thirds of Anglican churches are in such rural areas, so it really could make a massive difference to the the coverage of, of mobile and broadband. I always sort of thought, when we were talking, you know, I mean, we still have this problem, so it's not gone away, but when, when broadband was really just getting started, I always suggested it would be better, rather than using phone exchanges for... Um, being the hub to which people connected, I thought it would make more sense for BT to run fast backbones out to schools um, and then, you know, say to each school, well, we'll put this equipment in your basement, we'll give you a little bit of money each week um, or each month, and then, you know, um, that'll help pay for education, blah, blah, blah. But you'll also be able to reach more people with fast broadband because there are more schools than there are phone exchanges. You know, you might an area might have one phone exchange, but it might have... 20 schools or maybe 10 schools or something like that. I'm just thinking about my local area and how many buildings there are here that are dedicated to education. Um, So I I always sort of thought perhaps that would be one way of sort of encouraging growth for broadband. Of course, I'm not in charge of anything, so my ideas are generally ignored. Uh, But this is a, you know, a a sort of an expansion on that because, again, you know, like I say, they're central. Now, the BBC reported that there's about there are about 120 examples of broadband and mobile service being delivered from parish churches already, and that's according to figures from the Church of England. Um, and these can take a variety of forms, it says, from wireless transmitters in spires to aerials, sometimes even satellite dishes uh, and cabling. But, I mean, the idea of a satellite dish stuck on the side of a 15th century church, to me, isn't ideal, but you can't at hide the same them. time... Yeah, it's it's what well, you don't, when it is. But you can do anything. I mean, satellite dishes are round and dish-like, but they don't have to be. There are other ways of doing it. Um, Richard mentioned in the chat uh, live streaming of church services. You, if you look around, you'll see a lot of church services do that. Uh, the church from the village where my parents live uh, record all their services. I believe they make them available online. Uh, why not? You can live stream to YouTube. There's no real cost to doing it uh, beyond you know the broadband. My guess would have been that part of the reason not to do that would be to encourage people to actually attend the church. Yeah, perhaps. And there is always going to be that kind of problem. But what what also, uh, you know, the church's uh, mission is always going to be outreach. Um, and there might be, there will be a lot of people who um, who would either can't go to church because they're not well enough or they're you know, they've, either they're ill that week or they're disabled or, you know, or they just can't get to a church or people who... Uh, aren't sure if they really want to go to church but they're interested in the idea of it and they're investigating so they watch some services and decide if it's for them you know so yes you're right they want people in the buildings um, and there is a good community like you know you don't have to be particularly religious to see that the communities that spring up around churches are valuable things uh, you know I remember growing up you know a lot of the members of my church were very supportive of endeavors and you know so it's it's a nice part of a community that we don't 
you know, community is a really hard thing to get these days, isn't it? Everyone sort of just lives in their house and doesn't talk to anyone. And so uh, obviously there's, I've heard of, um, I remember when we were at CNET, we used to talk to Flora and her, I think her dad was involved in a, a non-religious kind of church, which was just, I guess, the same sort of thing, a, a community. So, yeah, there's value there and all sorts. Well, let us know any thoughts, of course, you have on this. Is your, is your church doing anything tech-wise, if you like, um, in this vein or in other veins? Love to hear about examples of that. Uh, hello at techpodcast.uk. I should actually point out, before he emails in, I know one of our patrons, Jacob, who is a minister in the US, I know that he is a very switched-on individual when it comes to tech, and I believe live streams some of his... Um, what are they called? I want to say sessions. It's not a session. Sermon? Sermon? Sermon. Well, yeah, yeah, sermons. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Services. Let's go with yeah, services. That's fine. Um, but uh, but yes, anyone else, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Since it's been a slow news week, I have to let another broadbandy tech sort of story slip through here because... Um, basically there's nothing else to really talk about and this was still quite interesting uh, which is that broadband speeds of up to 10 gigabits per second 10 gigabits not megabits have been tested in a home in the former olympic village in east london now it's a bit of a publicity stunt but as i said slow news week uh, and it's from broadband operator hyperoptic now it conduct, uh, conducted a test this week which claims it's the first time that 10 gigabit speeds have been brought to a uk home using an existing isp network as opposed to one of these lease lines that businesses have. Uh, Ofcom boss Sharon White said, the amount of internet data used by people in the UK is growing by around half, 50% more every year, every year. So we'll increasingly need full fibre broadband services like this to provide faster, more reliable connections. I mean, yes. Look, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with the sentiment that we need faster broadband, but 10 gigabits... What do you know that can operate at 10 gigabits per second? Like, what what domestic equipment is particularly well-placed to do that? Well, it's the old Bill Gates problem, isn't it? No one's going to need more than 148k of RAM or whatever it, whatever it was he said. I know that we've got to expand in the future, and I, and I, would, never, I would never not applaud um, a move like this. But, of course, you know, I, I, it's amazing the sort of problems you come into. I'll, do you want me to give you an example? Oh, I'd, mate, listen, I love examples. I thought you might. So, I... I, I've, I've got this uh, set up in this house where there's a, uh, the, the broadband uh, has a cable. It can either come into one of the rooms or a little cupboard. Um, but the, the, the Ethernet cable between the little cupboard and this room uh, is not... It's, I don't know if it's been broken in the middle somewhere or if it's terminated properly at either end. Um, but, you know, you can't... Um, it won't do a gig, so it will only do 100 meg. So, of course, you know, you, you plug it in. You don't realise how slow 100 meg is in modern terms. Um, it's, it's only enough to get... I was getting sort of 60 or 70 meg on speed testers, which is infuriating. Um, and testing wireless... It, you, you you know you're nowhere near those kind of speeds so you've got so people have got to replace every single piece of equipment and of course there are almost i don't think there are uh, most pcs don't have 10 gig ethernet do they in fact it's extremely rare to see uh, domestic equipment with 10 gig ethernet um so i mean yeah I, again i'm talking about what we've got now and i'm not you know no one's suggesting that they're going to roll this out but it's good that they can um and there's you know that that um, I used to know someone who lived in that uh, place, that Olympic Village, uh, and you know that I think it cost something like 
50 quid a month or something for gigabit each way. I mean, imagine such a thing. That would be amazing. I mean, some of our listeners will have gigabit Ethernet, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but And the chat room's talking about the fact that, you know, it's not just about having one device. It's about families that have kids. You know, if you have a um, three children, each of which has a phone and a tablet, plus you've got a phone, a tablet, computer, maybe a couple of rooms streaming 4K video. I mean, that's an enormous amount of simultaneous bandwidth to need to you know to chew through no i mean I, I, yeah of course i get i get it and i'm not i'm not pretending for a minute that you know my particular example is a good one um but wireless is frustrating and increasingly people rely on wireless like you know you get a router and the emphasis is on wireless uh like people are using it and i i'm just like this is frustrating why is it so bad um and i've i've, I've got another router now that has two five gigahertz channels that's supposed to be able to use simultaneously and I, i'm going to do a test of it but you know i it, i'm just frustrated by how easy it is to break these things and how how you, you know one piece of infrastructure in the middle of all of it stops it from working properly i get i've got the apple airport extreme yes. that I bought and I get a, incredibly fast through that so earlier on I was caching some stuff onto my iPad ahead of our trip to Japan and I was I was transferring them from my NAS at about I think it peaked at 48 megabytes a second so that's that's like five four five hundred megabit per second um, but I was also streaming Netflix at the same time through the Apple TV 4k um and other stuff so it's you know it's it's very quick they didn't weren't weren't they supposed to stop making that have they stopped making it now they did but but they didn't go to people's houses and take back ones people had already bought i I was fine but but, but yes thank you you sarcastic git um but i'm just saying like what so what what i mean what other domestic equipment is there that can meet meet the speeds that apple was able to do with the airport it's just i expect this linksys i've got that does two times five gigahertz must be capable of doing similar things but the messaging around it is so unbelievably crappy and and the you know the infrastructure needed like for example i've got a bunch of little uh, Linksys dongles that you can plug in, and they suggested that you use two on a laptop uh, somehow. I don't really, I never really got around to testing it properly, but um, it just like th- this is not the sort of thing that people are going to do. And I mean, again, that, that doesn't mean that we don't need 10 gigabit because I can see plenty of applications for it. Um, but you know, I just like there's a lot of infrastructure we've got to sort out. Well, that's probably a, a good time to wrap up that before Ian busts a blood vessel <laughs> in his uh, in his head. Um, but I did think that it was worth pointing something else out, just in light of all this talk about fiber, fiber um, because according to the register this week, fiber to the home in the UK is so bad that it didn't even rank in a new European study. Latvia, in this particular study, came top with 50.6% of households uh, household penetration. So half of all Latvian houses are equipped with fiber to the home. Uh, this is according to the Fibre to the Home Ultrafast Broadband Country Ranking. Um, so uh, there was Latvia and followed by Sweden, Lithuania uh, and Russia. And the report said that a number of that the number of fibre to the home and fibre to the building subscribers in Europe overall has increased by over 20 percent. Since since September 2016, and there's now over 51 million subscribers, at least as of towards the end of last year. But that's not the most surprising figure that came out of this report. The most surprising figure in this entire report is that the Republic of Ireland made its entry to the global ranking for the first time with a penetration rate of 1.7% fibre to the home. Republic of Ireland. 
so the UK not on the list, but the Republic of Ireland just made the list, and it's not at the very bottom either. It's it's a decent percentage there. Um, and to put this all in context, according to the Fibre Broadband Association, some figures I looked up here, fibre to the home connectivity saw a sixteen percent growth in 2016 in the US um, and there are now about just an, around 14 million homes connected by fiber um, but China is still by far the largest uh, broadband subscriber in the world has the largest base of subscribers anywhere in the world and there fiber has overtaken DSL so it's now the main sort of fixed broadband technology um, Digitimes research said that the number of fiber to the home subscribers um, is now at 227 million in fact more than because that was that figure's a year old uh, and it covers about 76 percent of all fixed line access subscribers in China which yeah, is but, I mean, staggering but there's a billion people in China right I mean and, and a lot and there are I can't remember there's there's some massive statistic oh, statistic about there are something like eight or more cities around Beijing that have seven million people living in them. So if you imagine, like, you've got Beijing and that's a huge population centre and then around it there are more, you know, cities that have seven million people. That's the whole population of London, basically. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's just enormous. But also, fibre to the home is not just not a priority in this country. Like, there is, you know, you can't call, you can't really call virgin fibre to the home uh, but it still delivers performance that's as good as fibre to the home or very nearly close to it. Uh, you know, BT has a fibre to the home product, but it's not the main focus of its broadband efforts. It's, you know, using fibre to the cabinet or fibre to the pole to do and then VDSL for the last little bit because it's massively more cost effective to do it that way. Um, now, personally speaking i think it should be illegal to build a new building without a fiber provision to it like it shouldn't be possible for you to put up a new build now without a fiber going directly into each apartment um but who whoever's going to start like legislating that it's we don't have a government capable of that kind of thought i would like to think that it's in the best interest of the people building the building to do that without legislation being required because it's a selling point it does happen and virgin and um virgin and bt will help as well they will make it possible but it's very reliant on the developer because what the developer has to do is put in place infrastructure that meets the requirements of virgin and bt bt and virgin won't get involved in that process um, but they will specify if you put this, 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 and this in, then we will do that, 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 and that kind of thing. Um, and for a lot of builders, this is not worth it. Like they'll just be like, well, yeah, we've got to spend some money on this. Uh, let's not bother. Well, if you've got fibre into your house and would like to send us a screenshot of your speed on speedtest.net, uh, I'll be very interested in seeing that. And uh, And you can send that in along with any thoughts. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Ian, let's dive into the mailbag this week. Uh, we had a, a message from Nigel who said, as a Nottingham-born and bred Australian, I completely enjoyed listening to this week's M1 Snow Trek while taking my evening walk in my Sydney suburban setting. Thank you very much, Nigel. I'm glad you liked it. We actually had some really good feedback about it last week, and I was sceptical because I thought it was I thought it was going to be a failure, but people seem to like the the different take on yeah uh, it's always fun to do something a bit different isn't it and you know if you if you're forced by circumstances to adapt it's you know you might as well try something new 
Yeah. Uh, do you want to take the one we got from Mike here about the HomePod, Ian? Nate, I heard you were going to be testing the HomePod and how impressed you were with the two-speaker stereo mode. What I'm wondering is how this compares with Sonos. As you can get two Sonos ones for £349 uh, and, a, and pair these as a stereo set, uh, I want, thought that would seem to be a direct comparison. Whilst the ones only support Alexa for the moment, uh, as I understand they plan to support both OK Google and Hello Siri 2. I would be quite surprised if Apple manages to exceed Sonos quality, uh, certainly where considering that Sonos can be upgraded with a further sub and sound bar to full 5.1. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Mike? At the moment, I haven't I haven't had both in the same room at the time. I've had the HomePod at home now for a couple of weeks, and I am very, very impressed with it um, from an audio standpoint. But also, I've had it connected to the Apple TV and been using it as an output for movies and TV. And actually that's one of my favorite uses for it right now and it's a i was really not expecting that but i'm not a big cinephile um i don't have a, a gigantic love of, of home theater but i do have a nice tv but i mostly just have the sound coming out of its built-in speakers you're a disgrace <laughs> having that go out of the the home pod has actually really uh, sort of in, reinvigorated the um the setup I, I mean sometimes we do plug it into the hi-fi and then it's the two to one it comes out the the speakers and the sub but usually only if we're watching like a a big like a movie or something and i can be bothered plugging it in most of the time i don't um my actual my early impressions of it though mike are that it will sound better than the sonos um it genuinely is the best sounding speaker of that ilk i've ever heard um the the issue is is price as you say and it's you can get two sonos ones for the same price and the sonos one is nowhere near a competitor to the home pod though is it it's about a fraction of the size and power but it's also much better value if you're just looking for a a wireless two speaker system yeah but if you if you absolutely for some reason have to have two speakers like i don't understand the argument really i just i don't think you're going to get better sound out of necessarily two small speakers than you would out of one bigger speaker and that's true of the sonic you can might as well get the play three or whatever it's called which is the bigger one um rather than buying two of the smaller ones i don't know I, I disagree this. there because because with sound a lot of the advantage you get is the width is the space you have between them yeah. so if you put two of these much farther apart and you're sitting in the sweet spot you're going to get a much nicer sound than even if you put those two same speakers together you know side by side um but i i think the adv- you've got a lot more flexibility with the sonos because yes you can add the sound bar to it you can also buy a whole load of them and and set it up as a surround sound system as well um and the the home part a big part of its selling point is that it integrates so much with apple's ecosystem with um with the voice assistant and with your apple music and all that kind of stuff but it's not very smart in my experience i mean it's really i'm quite disappointed with the with the smarts of the HomePod, to be honest. You know, yeah, I mean, th- there's an argument here about Apple's inability to make Siri into what, uh, you know, the sort of thing that Amazon's voice assistant is. Um, and, I, and I really wish that they would. But I, I also wonder if maybe there's that's just not an objective for them in terms of what they're trying to do um, with Siri. I, 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 I honestly don't understand where they're going with it. Um, Richard, um, no, who was it who asked it in the chat room? Uh Stephen asked in the chat room if uh, Sonos does home EQ. The uh, speaker bar does, 
the uh, the t- the the one designed for TV use. Um, you walk around; it's a really weird process. You move your phone around, and they uh, measure your room, uh, which is a similar thing, I guess, to the Apple. I don't think it's as automated as Apple's, though. No, I mean the setup and, and automation on on Apple's side is is second to none. I mean, it's you you set the speaker up in literally one button press you just put your phone next to it physically hold it next to it little thing pops up on your iphone it says set up home pod you press the button and that's it it's signed in everything's synced it's it's, it's quite remarkable actually um well, but my plan like, is again that's the, that's the that's people ask why people spend more money on apple stuff right that's why it's the the reason that the air, the earpods work is because you open the box and they're paired with your phone like I don't think anyone's pretending that Apple stuff is supposed to be good value for, or, you know, cheap. It's not, it's never cheap. And there will always be a, a more comprehensive product out there that is less money. It's all about people, like, wanting to be able to, like, for example, the communication between your iPhone and Apple TV is a lot better than Chromecast. Like, you can stream live video from the camera on your iPhone to your Apple TV on TV, and it's incredible. But you can't do that with Chromecast, or at least I've not found a way to do it as well. Uh, well, I hope that helps a little bit, Mike. When when the, when the they bring out the speaker pairing side of things, my plan is to get hold of another one and the Sonos one. I can't believe they didn't launch that. It's bizarre. I mean, the technology works because I had a demo of it at Apple's headquarters, and and it, you know, it sounds it sounds great. But well, you I, know, I I just think given that how delayed they were, they might as well have delayed them a bit more and made it work. It's the same. Th- I know that it's good. It's a good thing. Like more companies should be a bit more careful about how quickly they're releasing. Google, in particular, was is very happy to let the early users be beta testers. And again, that's you know, there's a reason people who buy Apple stuff are paying more money. It's because they want a product that works out of the box. Well, Richard was asking in the chat room if you can put the HomePod in different rooms and have the same music play out of all of them. I believe you can. I also believe you can have different music playing out of them because it's part of the AirPlay 2 specification that allows you to stream, uh, to have a much wider control of what you can stream and and which devices you're streaming it to at the same time. Um, So I believe that's coming, but I haven't been able to test that um, yet uh, and yes you can do that from the mac already and have been able to do in fact for, for quite some time um uh, let's let's uh, accept there but thanks very much mike for prompting such a discussion uh, hopefully that helped do you have any other questions about it do uh, let us know on the usual address and um, this came in from jacob who says hey nathan ian quick note about cryptocurrencies since you asked i've not invested any of my actual money into the cryptos out there but i use a desktop app on my imac to cloud mine i contribute hashing power and receive a percentage of the haul from each block after the app takes a small percentage cut i cannot confirm this but the app appears to have built-in controls for cpu which is a huge plus on the iMac, he says, and will dial back if it's getting too strenuous for the cause. I could also be wrong about that, and it could be dialing back for another reason, uh, but I've noticed that when, when the machine runs hot, it dials back and cools down a bit. While I'm not investing actual cash in these currencies, I am making a long-term bet that the energy required will ultimately be profitable. I think the ship has sailed for Bitcoin, so I tend to mine for alternatives like Monero and Bitcoin. In the event any of these alternatives take off, I'll have a significant 
I'll I'll have a not insignificant amount, and I don't think um, I'm in the hodl cap. Hang on, what's hodl? Oh, it for? means Eight. it means hold basically. That it, um, a lot of the Bitcoin people who bought very high were faced with a choice. Basically, if they bought eighteen thousand dollars, then 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 it plummeted to you know whatever nine thousand or whatever. They had the ob- they basically you would lose half of your money, or you could hold it and wait until it came back again. But that's what hodl means. It means hold basically. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so I would sell if they reach a decent percentage rate. If not, I'm at the cost of electricity and somewhat um, insulated from the volatility of the market. It's really interesting. I, I've not really looked into the whole cloud mining of, of Bitcoins, but, but that yeah, is a, I can. Uh, yeah, one. I mean, I, the whole thing, I think mining particular. I mean, like he says, you have to mine the right currency. And that, there's as much to mining currency and picking the currency as there is to the whole mining process in the first place. It's, that's where the devil is. In the detail. Mm. Yes. Uh, finally, from Luke, just a quick one that he posted in the Discord before we start recording, actually, about the fingerprint database stuff we were talking about last week. He said it could really pose a problem combined with something like the right against self-incrimination. I also feel like fingerprinting is a very strong measure against something like a person uh, without a document. I'd never thought about the self-incrimination thing. Do you know, there's yeah. no, that I don't believe there's a UK law that protects you from incriminating yourself. The US has the Fifth Amendment, right? So you don't have to say anything that will incriminate yourself. The UK doesn't have that law. You you can't you, there is no protection you can't just stay silent is that right yeah it's it's a because it, because obviously in america the advice is just don't say anything and then plead the fifth and then it's much it's much harder i mean it's not impossible to build a case against you but it means you never say anything that would incriminate yourself uh, which you may do in the uk because you don't have the right you, you do have the right to remain silent but it probably will harm your defense <laughs> I, I'm just. I just googled it while we were talking. Apparently, we do have the right to silence. Oh yeah, here. yeah. You can stay silent, but it's not like it's not like the Fifth Amendment where um, it's to protect you from incriminating yourself. It it would cause you more harm in British law. Well, thanks for everyone writing in. Uh, anyone else with things to say or discuss? Hello at techpodcast.uk is where you can send them to. Let's check in briefly with Tom and see what's been going on in the wider world of tech over at DTNS. Tom. Hey, this week on DTNS, we compare and contrast the development practices of iOS and Android, discuss the limitations and benefits of cloud gaming PCs from someone who's used a service, marvel at one survey shows that security might finally beat convenience for people, evaluate Twitter's attempt to put live news video next to your Twitter stream, and talk with a psychology professor about why it's so hard to think like a scientist even for a scientist. All that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you, Tom. Well, a final reminder for our competition um, to win some of those Xbox One games. We've got the full details going live on the show notes at techpodcast.uk. And that's where we're going to be referring people who want to uh, be reminded what the competition is, how to enter. Just go to techpodcast.uk and we'll include those in every show notes um, for the next four weeks worth of shows so you can uh, you can check how to enter and look forward to seeing some funny tweets thanks to everyone supporting us on patreon please give us a chance if you would like to just see what things are like in the patreon world you can join uh, for as little as one dollar or a couple of dollars and there's no commitment and you get our extended longer episodes and join us in the live room to hear the show recorded live and, and chat with us while we while we do it as well as through the week that's at patreon.com forward slash uk tech ian i think you should go to bed and and rest your weary cold ridden head too much to do too much to do <laughs> let's all wish ian the very best 
for the next seven days. Bye, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.